Prepare your heart to receive another powerful message by David Harabedian, recorded live at Eagle Heart Ministries. Our message is the seven common human spiritual states. The seven common human spiritual states. If you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, which can just start in verse 44. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 44, talking about the natural man and the new man of the spirit, the old man and the new man. It said it is sown in a natural body, it is raised in a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Now here's the keynote verse. And so it is written. The first Adam, say first Adam, Adam. was made a living soul. The last Adam made a quickening spirit. Say first Adam, Adam. last Adam. Adam. The last Adam was Christ. The first Adam was Adam. Okay? So we have two natures within us. The old nature, and when we're born again, we have a new nature. So the old nature, say old nature. And the new nature. nature. Look at your neighbor and say, what nature are you? What nature are you? (laughs) Scripture says, if any man or woman be in Christ, they're a new creation. Behold, old things are passed away. All things are become new. Now, question, when you got born again or you received Jesus and you had your spirit regenerated from on high, did your hair color change? No. No. Did your weight necessarily change? No. Did your height necessarily change? (laughs) Did your skin color change? Did your socioeconomic situation instantly change? Did your academic level change? And the answer is, probably not. Now, There are changes that occur when a person's born again, but they're born again on the inside. You are a spirit, you have a soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions, and you live in a body. When you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes in and regenerates you, and the light comes on, the pilot light. You're instantly one-third perfect. It's the other two-thirds he works on. Look at your neighbor and say, you're at least a third perfect. You're at least a third perfect. Amen. At least a third. So when the enemy says to you, well, you did this, you did that, say, well, that may be true, but a third of me is perfect. That's right. And ain't none of you perfect. (laughs) And? You want to compare? Third. You? Nothing. And he's working on the other two-thirds. Amen. Amen. Genesis 1.26 Genesis 1.26, we're talking about the first Adam, and we're talking about the last Adam. We're talking about the Adamic nature that's in every living human being. And we're talking about the last Adam, which is the nature of Christ, that is in every born-again being. Genesis 1.26 Let's just start uh, verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them 
have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in His own image. Say, God's own image. So Adam was made in the image and likeness of God. He's the first Adam. Perfect. Here's the interesting thing. Adam falls in the Garden of Eden. Say, whoops. <laughs> the good news is God had a plan. He always has a plan. People say, well, God's got plan B. I think it was plan A. He knows we're going to mess up. The good news is plan A has got it covered. You know, if you're trusting God and have plan B in addition to God, I often say, do you really have God at all? Mm-hmm. Or are you trusting in plan B in case God doesn't show up? Which means, really, you're not trusting God with plan A because He's got the A game, plan A, the A team. He's got all that. He is all that and a bag of chips. Are you trusting Him? So, Genesis 1.26 says, God made man, Adamic man, in the Garden of Eden, in His image, in His likeness, He created them. Adam and Eve. What's interesting is you slip over to Genesis chapter 5, verse 3. It's after the fall. Mm-hmm. And Genesis 5, 3 says, this is the book, 5, 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam in the day that God created man in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day they were created. They were both Adam. Out of Adam comes Eve. And he called her woman. Probably, whoa, man. God, you're a good creator. Amen. Okay, verse... Three, and Adam lived a hundred and thirty years and begat a son in his own likeness mm-hmm. after his image and called his name Seth. Mm-hmm. Adam had fallen and he had a fallen nature. He was created in the image and likeness of God. God created him in his nature and likeness. But then... After the fall, Adam's children are made in the image and likeness of Adam, which is the fallen nature. It's time to get back to the garden. Amen. Amen. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. When we walk with Jesus in the cool of the day, in the garden of life, his nature rubs off on us. Or the new nature within us begins to spill out of our spirit floods our soul and then begins to shine out of the windows of our body. Remember Peter? His shadow healed the sick. That wasn't his shadow. If it was his shadow, it only would have worked on a cloudy day. It wouldn't have worked on a cloudy day. But 
because it was really the original Greek is the adumbration, episkizo, the power of the Lord that came on Mary when she was with child. And the power of the Holy Ghost shall overshadow you, episkizo, or the adumbration of His glory. Well, the adumbration of the episkizo shined out of Peter because he became yielded to the one that lived within him. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not that he's not in you. It's that there's things blocking him from getting out to play. He likes to get out and play. The enemy's looking for a way back into the planet. He's looking for a few yielded vessels. And he's got a few. I ran into one a couple of weeks ago at Casey's. Wanted my gas pump. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but Christ in us, the hope of glory, combats in the spirit that which comes out of people. Have you ever had somebody say something to you and you felt like literally you were slimed by the words out of their mouth? That was another spirit. And you sometimes have to shake yourself and get that serpent off. Anyway, tonight we're talking about the first Adam, the old nature. The last Adam, Christ, the new nature. Often, even as believers, seven common human spiritual states, we yield to the old nature of the first Adam instead of the new nature of the last Adam, which is Christ in us. The Apostle Paul said to the church at Rome, Romans 7.14, For I know the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I don't practice. But what I hate to do, I find myself doing. Paul had been born again, or he had met Christ some 14 years earlier. And he was still battling with the old nature. He ended that passage with this. He said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Romans 7.24 Paul fought his flesh and disciplined his body, bringing it under subjection. 1 Corinthians 9.27 And then Paul daily picked up his cross and followed after Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.31 Finally, he was able to write these words. It's a process. Salvation's instant. But sanctification is a process. We've got to walk this thing out. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Have you let him out to play? He wants to touch a hurting, lying, sighing, dying world of destitute humanity. And he's looking for those that will yield their hand to his that he can touch and heal and deliver and hug the unhuggable. Remember, there was a time when we were unhuggable, but he reached through somebody else and touched us. The Apostle Paul finally was able to write this, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, and gave himself for me, Galatians 2.20. We've shared in previous sessions that the word I, I am crucified with Christ, is a little Greek word called ago with a rough breathing mark over the alpha, gamma, omicron. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's a nice way of saying that's where we get our word ego from. My ego 
edging God out, is crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Meaning, every time my ego says to do this or to do that, I literally edge God out, push Him back into my spirit, and I say, I got this. Let me step up to the plate and give them a piece of my mind. <laughs> they don't need a piece of your mind. They need a piece of the mind of Christ. Amen. But ego that needs to be crucified in every decision. WWJD, what would Jesus do in this situation? WWJS, what would Jesus say? Well, let me tell you what happened to me yesterday. And they said this, and I said that. Really, is that what Jesus would say? Well, you don't know what they said to me. Really? Well, you don't know what they did. And what did you do? Did you do what Jesus would do? You are a carrier of His glory. You have the imprint of Christ on you. You're born not of the flesh, but of the Spirit now that you're in Christ. If any man be in Christ, any woman be in Christ, they're a new creation. They have a new DNA. The Greek language is actually a new species of being. Literally, you're born from above. Your DNA is infused with the nature of God Almighty dwelling within you. DNA. The divine nature of the Almighty, the DNA, dwells in you spiritually. And when you walk in the day, literally, His nature that dwells within you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, as He is, so are we in this present world. 1 John 4.17 He wants to reach a people through you. The key is this. Are we yielding to the new nature of Christ that's already in us? That fills and floods our soul and pours out with the love of Christ, with the power, with the self-control? Or are we hindered by our EGO, edging God out, our ego, that causes us to lean toward the first Adam that fell? If we lean toward that nature in the arena of reason, we will fail. But if we lean toward the nature of Christ within us and take every thought captive under the obedience of Christ, casting down every vain imagination and every high and pretentious thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, we will win in the arena of faith every single Time, because He always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ Jesus. For in Him we live and we move and we have our very being. I just declare the belt of truth to come back upon every person under the sound of my voice supernaturally so that every lie of the adversary breaks off, bounces off, and I render the lies of the enemy moot, null, and void, and the armor of God clearly upon 
each and every individual because you are more than a conqueror. You're not just a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror, which means you're a super conqueror. You're a conqueror on Holy Ghost steroids. When you walk into this situation, you don't just knock out your opponent. You knock out his four brothers with David and Goliath. They all eventually went down, whether it was through his sling or through someone else's. But every giant has to fall before you when you're yielded to him. Not your ability, but your availability. Not your ability, but his ability within you and through you. For no weapon formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you shall condemn, the Scripture says, Isaiah 54, 17. You shall condemn it because your mouth is in league with the mouth of heaven. And you don't speak anything of your own. You only speak that which you're given in that very hour. 1 Peter 4, 11. When you speak, you are to be one speaking as the very oracles of God. Amen. Seven common human spiritual states. The Apostle Paul, when he finally got into that place where he was led by the Spirit, he said this boldly in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. Are you an imitator of Christ? If so, others will follow the Christ within you. One day the Lord spoke to me. He said, David, he said, the wife will only submit to the husband when the husband is submitted to the Lord. Amen. Hear that. The wife will only submit to the husband when the husband is submitted to the Lord. It's really the Lord within the husband that she's submitting to. Amen. Otherwise, he'll act like a devil, he'll live like a devil, he'll quote a few scriptures, and if she submits to him in that way, she's submitting unto the devil in him and wow. not to the Lord in him. Wow. When men come to me and tell me that their wife's not submitting, I say, are you submitted to Jesus? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave him self for her and you're going to argue with her over the remote control over a television program <laughs> and call yourself submitted to the Lord Christ would never raise his hand against the church his bride and strike her down but he'll protect her from the wolf the husband will only submit to the wife. The wife will only submit to the husband when the husband is submitted to the Lord. Interesting. There's some imbalanced teaching on this matter in the body of Christ that gives men a license to abuse, disparage, demean their wives, and to think that they still have to submit to the devil in them. Woe unto those that think that's the Bible. We have no problem submitting to Christ and true authority. But to a control spirit, we stand against it. You might honor your parents, but you don't have to agree with them if they're contrary to the Scriptures. You can still honor your husband, but don't submit to that. I just have had to deal with a wife of a pastor who was leading hundreds of people to Christ. 
hundreds, well known. And he was doing things that were so contrary to Scripture that even non-believers wouldn't do it while he's in the pulpit. He's living a double life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She was abused in that situation. God's wanting to liberate us into the new nature so that Christ in us, the hope of glory, is released unto the people. Seven common human spiritual states. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 9, verse 28 through 62. We're going to read a rather lengthy passage. But there are seven common human spiritual states from the first Adam that are contained within this passage. Very interesting the way the Holy Spirit would write this through Luke the physician's first century pen. Now it came to pass, Luke 9, 28, about eight days after these sayings, that he took Peter, John, and James. Jesus took them on the mountain to pray, verse 29. And as he prayed, Luke 9, 29, the appearance of Jesus' face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with Jesus, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Verse 33, Then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Verse 34, While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them. That adumbration of God's glory. If you've never experienced that, it's life-changing. God, give it to us afresh. And they were fearful as they entered the cloud. Verse 35, And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. Verse 36, When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone, but they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things they had seen. Verse 37, Now it happened on the next day when they had come down from the mountain that a great multitude met him. Suddenly a man from the multitude cried out saying, Teacher, I implore you, look on my son for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and it departs from him with great difficulty bruising him. So I implored your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Verse 41, Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And as he was still coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. Then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his father. They were all amazed at the majesty of God. But while everyone marveled at all the things which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, verse 44, let these words sink down into your ears for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying and it was hidden from them so they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Verse 46, then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be the greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took the little child, took a little child and set the child by him, verse 48, and said unto them, Whoever receives this little child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you 
all will be great. Verse 49, Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said unto him, Do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go up to Jerusalem. Verse 52, And he sent messengers before his face, and as they went... They entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him, but they did not receive Jesus because they did, but they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. Verse 54, and when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Verse 55, but Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you're of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Verse 61. And another said also, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Jesus said unto him, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. There are seven common human spiritual states that are not the seven divine nature states. An ego edging God out will keep us from being delivered from them and pressing in or releasing the divine nature of Christ within us. Now, we are not God, but God the Holy Spirit lives in us. Amen. God has five attributes. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. There's things we don't know. But He'll give us wisdom in that hour. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. You're not in two places right now. You're in one. He's omnipotent. means He's all-powerful. We are limited in our power unless His power comes on us. Because if we weren't limited in our power, there'd be some things we already would have taken care of. Tell the truth. <laughs> and he is immutable, which means unchangeable. He changes not. I, the Lord, change not. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the fifth attribute of deity, which we don't have, the devil doesn't have, the angels don't have, only God himself, the Father, Son, and Spirit have, is this. He's eternal in that he is without beginning and without end. He always has been. He always will be. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We have a beginning. We're breathed out of the mouth of God. We have a beginning. Mm -hmm. So we don't have those five attributes of deity that are unique to God alone. The devil doesn't have them. Angels don't have them. Humans don't have them. He is God all by himself. Amen. However, his divine nature is in us at the born-again experience. And at that point we will begin to work the works of God as we come into unity with Him. And the sick are healed. Demons come out. We can walk on water at the leading of the Spirit. And yes, 
We can even break bread and feed 5,000 because it's His hands within us at His direction that we agree with, that we might be His hands and feet on the earth. You might be the only Bible someone will ever read. Please make it a pure enough translation where they can know about Jesus and get saved. Amen. Seven common human spiritual states from Luke 9, 28 through 62. The first one is the impulsive spirit. The second one is the prayerless spirit. The third one is the ignorant spirit. And the fourth one is the self-exalting spirit. The fifth one is the sectarian spirit. The fifth is the vindictive spirit. And the seventh is the half-hearted or lukewarm spirit. And now let us go back into the passage that we just read and identify these seven spirits as Jesus points them out for us or Luke records the incident so that we can see what God has delivered us from with the old Adamic nature and the promises of God that are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, what we can walk in with the new nature of Christ within us. These signs will follow them that believe. In my name they'll cast out demons. They'll heal the sick. They'll lay hands on... They'll, they'll speak with new tongues. They'll operate. You may all prophesy. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the meekness, the temperance, the long-suffering, the faith. It's in you for your taking. It's in you for your yielding. You never walk by an orange tree and hear the orange tree grunting. Orange tree, what are you doing? I'm just trying to produce some fruit. <laughs> the orange tree yields yeah. and the fruit comes forth. Yeah. Stop trying to produce it. <laughs> Simply yield and let Him yield it through you. He's the producer. Apart from me, He said, you can do nothing, John 15. I am the vine. You are the branches. We yield the fruit. We don't produce the fruit. Mm -hmm. And when God brings the fruit through us, don't take credit for it. If it was something good, trust me, it was Him. If it was something bad, don't blame Him. And stop blaming the devil. He don't live in you. That's your old nature. You can blame. The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. He invited you. You agreed. You're in agreement. You're a yielded vessel. Tell the truth. Shame the devil. Repent. Which means change your mind. Break ties with that thought. Turn back to God. Agree with Him. And walk with Him. Be yoked together with Him. And the walk is easy. His burden is light. Right? The first spirit, Luke 9, 28 through 33. The impulsive spirit or impetuous spirit. Peter was impulsive throughout his early walk with Jesus. In this passage, Jesus was transfigured before three of his disciples who'd gone up under the mountain to pray with him. Peter impulsively declared, Master, it is good for us to be here and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Of course, Jesus didn't want tabernacles built for him. But Peter impulsively or impetuously, caught up in the moment, spoke forth empty words inspired out of his own human spirit, his own 
thinking. God's real purposes in this was not to build tabernacles, but to confirm Jesus as the fulfillment of the law which Moses represented and the fulfillment of the prophets which Elijah represented. We're moving into a new era. Not the law, nor the prophets, but this is my beloved son. Hear ye him. In times past, he, he spoke through the holy prophets. But now he's spoken to us through his son. The word made flesh, Jesus. While he had thus spoke, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of heaven saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear ye him. Peter's impulsive human spirit plagued him through his early years with Christ. Nobody in this room has had that problem. Thank God this is just history lesson. Scripture also records Peter walked on water and sank. Matthew 14, 28. He cut off a centurion's ear in John 10, 18. And Peter, the student, pulled Jesus aside, the Son of God, God in the flesh, the, the last Adam, and counseled with him. Then Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you, this crucifixion thing. Matthew 16, 22. Jesus sharply corrected Peter's impulsiveness by saying, Get behind me, Satan! The loving Jesus. Meek and lonely Jesus. Meek and... Good day behind me, Satan! Thou hast not in mind the things of God, but of men. The loving Jesus. But he said, I don't want to go down a rabbit trail. Don't chase that trail, David. Okay, just for a second. Just for a second. It's going. Don't, don't go after it. It's a human spirit. I'm battling right now. Jesus said to the Pharisees, He said to the Pharisees, You are your father, the devil, who was a liar from the beginning and a murderer. The things that, that your father does, you do likewise. Oh, our father, our father is Abraham. If your father were really Abraham, you would have believed in me. Okay. <laughs> you whitewashed tombstones, you dead men bones sepulchers. You are mm. meek and lowly Jesus. <laughs> you Pharisees, you make the word of God of none effect by your traditions. Yeah. You do err in not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Oh. You're doing what in the temple? That's it. Let me get a triple braided cord. Yeah. Meek and lowly Jesus. We got to get it back in balance. Why? Why? That's right. Meek and lowly Jesus. Father, they're, they're stoning Stephen. Let me stand up. Yeah. Dad, look how much of me is in him. He's saying, yeah. he's saying, do not hold this sin to their church. Let me go down and meet Saul on the road to Damascus next week. Um, and let me just go ahead and me can lonely. smack off the high horse of pride, blinded by the light. Yeah. Yeah. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Me can lonely Jesus. Yeah. Great. John the Revelator, I want you to give a message to the seven churches in Asia. To the church at Thyatira. 
who tolerates that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. Meek and lonely Jesus. I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will kill her children. Yeah. Meek and lonely Jesus. <laughs> Elemis the sorcerer struck blind Look. through the apostle Paul at the word of the Lord and he was yielded to meek and lonely Jesus. Ananias and Sapphira met the love of God that day yes. as they dropped dead in the presence of God in Acts chapter 5. Flying to the Holy Ghost. Amen. Okay, so here we are. Peter's impulsiveness, born out of his own natural human spirit and not God's Holy Spirit, caused him to be mindful not of the things of God, but the things of men. Hmm. The unredeemed nature of the first Adam instead of the new redeemed nature of Christ was operating through Peter because he was not crucified with Christ in his ago or his ego. Oh. That's really what it's about. It's about our ego. Mm -hmm. It really boils down to that. If a raindrop falls directly on the top of a barn, it will sit there for a second, but eventually it will have to roll to the right or to the left. Mm -hmm. Maybe the wind blows it one way. Maybe the wind blows it another way. When a thought comes in to the shed of your mind, when that thought comes in, do you take it to your old nature and let it run wild? Or do you take it to your new nature, captive under the obedience of Christ, casting down every vain imagination and every high and pretentious thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God? It is your choice. You cannot keep the birds from flying over your head. But you can certainly keep them from building a nest in your hair. Okay. It is always a choice. Choose ye this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers in Egypt or the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But today, I declare unto you, I will serve the Lord. The antidote for impulsiveness. The Bible says we are to be anxious for nothing, but in all things with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving make our requests known unto God. Philippians 4.6 If Peter had simply prayed before he spoke, he would have had the answer that he had from the Lord when people said, Whom do you say that I? Jesus said, Whom do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist raised from the dead, one of the prophets, Jeremiah. But whom do you say that I am? Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. Interesting. A few verses later, the same Peter who's impulsive and launches with a prophetic word by revelation is then pulling Jesus aside. Hey, I'm hearing from God pretty good. I've got an affirmation from Jesus in front of the twelfth. i got it going on. I've got a prophetic utterance. Let me go ahead and put a little correction on Jesus. This crucifixion thing, you don't really have to do it. You know, you got that, that fish and chips thing that you can make. I mean, we got provisions. Everything's cool. We might even put up a little shop. Jesus of Nazareth. It's all good. We can go in, take the Romans. You can speak. They fall down. Let's just take this thing back. This cross thing? You don't know how painful that is. I mean, really? 
Jesus, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> the Bible says, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God, 1 Peter 4.11. Peter eventually overcame his impulsiveness after being filled with the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. The same Peter that denied Christ three times, cut off a centurion's ear, walked on water and sank, and tried to correct the Son of God impulsively. The same Peter was the one that Jesus had given the keys to the kingdom of heaven, knowing he was impulsive, knowing he's going to do some impulsive, impetuous things. But he liked his spirit. He liked his... He had zeal. You know, Jacob was a liar and a manipulator in the Old Testament. He deceived his brother out of his birthright. But he was hungry after the things of God to the point where he was willing to deceive and trick his brother out of the birthright so he could get the bigger blessing. And guess what? He got it. But in the process of transformation, he got it too. He had his wages changed ten times by Laban, his uncle. He was manipulated on his wedding night, ended up with the wrong woman. Tell me that won't mess you up. What? I don't even like you. How did... It was dark in here, I know, but... Couldn't you have told me? You're Leah, not Rachel? <laughs> Tell me that's not getting deceived. Can you imagine? 20 years under servitude, under his manipulative, deceiving... You know, we learn not to steal sometimes by being stolen from. We learn not to lie by being lied to. We get to a point where we hate that thing so much we don't want it in our lives. <laughs> on the day of Pentecost 3,000 were saved Acts 2.41 5,000 more were converted shortly thereafter in Acts 4.4 4. eventually Peter was so yielded to God that his shadow healed the sick and all that it touches Acts 5.16 this is good news for the impulsive spirited believer Amen. Oh, thank you Lord <laughs> <laughs> there's hope for Peter there's hope for us that's why it's in the word God doesn't conceal a lot of stuff he told on David about Bathsheba he told on Samson about Delilah he told about Moses doing some murder he keeps it real so that we have hope Romans 15 4 and these things are written that happened aforetime in the scriptures and recorded for us that we might have hope hope floats Amen. It'll buoy you back up to the top of your circumstances. Hope is a wonderful thing. When you can't get up, just raise up your hope balloon and say, Lord, fill it. Hallelujah. And He'll rise you up out of the circumstances. Amen. And you'll look down and say, Oh, thank God. Hallelujah. <laughs> this is good news for the impulsive spirited believer. In time, the Lord often uses these zealous, impetuous, spirited individuals most powerfully once delivered from their impulsiveness. You know what happens in prophetic circles? Somebody starts to operate in the prophetic. They have an accurate word. They're like Peter. Got it going on. Heard from heaven. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to me, but my Father which is in heaven. They get validated with a the pastor. They get validated in a group. They almost get exalted by people. Oh, you're a prophet. Oh, you're a prophet of God. Well, if I'm going to be any prophet to God at all, I better get on my face before the Lord and stay low and humble and only speak when He speaks. Otherwise, I could be an impetuous Peter and get rebuked by the Lord because He loves me. He chastens those 
whom he loves and he scourges every son that he pleases because he takes us to the woodshed and puts a little Holy Ghost straightening on us because he wants us to walk right so others can see him. Never forget when the Messiah shows up on your shoulders and you carry him into the city and he heals and he delivers and signs and wonders happen and people get saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. Remember this. When they said Hosanna in the highest, they weren't saying it for the donkey that carried him. They were saying it for the one he was carrying. When we have the privilege of carrying the Messiah, remember it's about him. The prayerless spirit number two. Here the disciples have been implored to use their God-given authority over demons but were unable to cast the devil out of a little boy. Jesus took the child and cast out the demon, Luke 9.42. If the disciples had power to cast out devils given to them by Jesus in Matthew 10, verses 1 through 8, why couldn't they cast out this devil from a little boy? This is why Jesus was so upset. You faithless, meek and low, you faithless and perverse generation. What is that? Can you imagine preachers in the pulpit? You faithless and perverse congregation. (laughs) Oh, he's an abusive shepherd. He might be. Or he might have had an utterance in that moment from the Lord. But just because he had an utterance in that moment doesn't mean he should do it on a regular basis. He's probably operating out of his own human spirits. Do you see the balance? If the disciples had power to cast out devils, why couldn't they cast out the devil from a little boy? Jesus declared in Mark 9.25, King James Version, this kind cometh forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. NIV, prayer. King James, prayer and fasting. Here's the point. The prayerlessness produces powerlessness. Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer. No power. Well, it's just not God's will to heal them. It's just not God's will that you be prayerless. Dutch Sheets one time went daily to pray for a woman in the hospital for a year. At the end of the year, she was healed and delivered. And he saw little signs, little breakthrough. And because of that, God trained him in the art of prayer. We have the art of war. We need to learn the art of prayer where true warfare is born from. And you know, you might have some prayer victories and you might have some prayer losses. But let me share something with you. When you pray and pray and pray and pray and you don't get the breakthrough, you might think you failed. But let me tell you something. Your prayer authority increased during that time. If you can't move the thousand pound boulder, look, your muscles are growing while you're doing it. Wow. And the next time you run into a 500 pound boulder, you're like, boom! Yeah, yeah. Out of my way. Yeah. So don't think that your prayer training is ever in vain. Amen. It's never in vain because it produces something. <laughs> okay, the antidote for prayerlessness. This may be a tough one to get revelation on. Pray. That's it. That's the antidote. Pray. Paul declared with pray without ceasing 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Prayerlessness is a sin 
The prophet Samuel said, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, 1 Samuel 12, 23. Regular time in prayer not only changes things and situations, it changes us into the image and likeness of His Son. The first time you go into prayer and you begin to tell God all about somebody, He's not listening. He wants to talk to you about you first so you're in a right posture and aligned. Now you can properly pray for them in a restorative spirit, not just a punitive spirit. Regular time changes us. Jesus said, pray that you enter not into temptation. Luke 22, 40. I read that for years. Lord, I pray I don't enter into temptation. Oh, Lord, I pray I don't enter into temptation. You know what the word there for pray is in the original Greek? It's in the present imperative tense, which is a command to do something now with a constant repeated action in the future. I said all that to say this. It's really pray and keep on praying. And you won't enter into temptation. Jesus went three hours in the Garden of Gethsemane. And each time he asked the disciples, won't you watch with me? Won't you pray with me? Just one hour. And every time they went to pray with him, I fell asleep. I know that's not happened to anybody here. But it's happened to me a time or two. Three times Peter was asked to pray with Jesus. Three times Peter fell asleep. Jesus prayed through the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you don't pray through the cross or your crucifixion or your trial of your flesh in your garden, you'll not face it in the natural. But if you pray through it in the garden and you rise up and you pray through you'll have no problem walking through it in the natural because it's already done in the Spirit. Peter failed three times in prayer and he denied Christ three times. Every time he was confronted with the temptation, he fell to the old nature. If he had prayed those three hours, do you think there would have been a different outcome? See the principles? Antidote for prayerlessness. Pray! The ignorant spirit, number three. Jesus had just cast a demon out of this little boy and began to tell the disciples about his betrayal and death. And he said, Let these sinkings, saying, sink down into your ears. Verse 44. And although they were all amazed at the mighty power of God, they understood not this saying, and it was hid from them that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. Many times we are in the same spiritual state of ignorance. Ignorance is not stupidity. Ignorance is not knowing. Mm -hmm. Somebody asked me a question. I said, you know what? I'm really ignorant on the matter. Please educate me. There's a difference between being educated on the matter and then responding not in alignment with the information you've received. That's stupidity. Mm -hmm. That's unwise behavior. That's not ignorant. It's because you're informed. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge, from being ignorant. And we're ignorant because we don't ask. Many times we're in the same spiritual state. We may be amazed at the power of God, but not have a clue as to the message being preached or taught. Have you ever been in a service where the power of God falls and somebody says to you, what was the message? I don't know, it was a great service. (laughs) <laughs> what, what, well, yeah, this and that happened. Oh, we were drunk in the spirit. Yeah, this and that. What, what was the message? What, what, how, I don't know. 
You know, when, when, when I start to flow in healing, mm-hmm. a lot of times the Lord will have me launch out and I'll touch where He's touching. Mm-hmm. And He'll heal them. And instantly, we'll move into healing school, Jesus and me. And I'll start calling two and a half and three and a half year old kids out of the congregation, have them lay hands on the sick. Or I'll have an 82 year old pray for the sick. Or a gangbanger who just got saved and was planning on going out and committing a murder. You qualify, you're born again. These signs will follow them that believe. If you go lay hands on that woman with the bad knees, then just speak the commands and they get healed instantly. And people are like, they learn not just an academic teaching or the person that we errantly exalt above us as the signs and wonder worker instead of becoming his hands and feet on the earth and going out and doing the stuff too. We need to do the stuff. You know why most of these ministers fall? Two reasons. One, strike the shepherd and the sheep scatter. Either A, the pew is not getting out of the stands and getting into the game. They're staying church kids and not becoming kingdom kids. Okay. Or the person in the pulpit is not equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Okay. So if a preacher is doing the stuff but not equipping people to do the stuff, when he falls, it's sad, but there's a lack of wisdom there. When you equip the saints for the work of ministry, you get all these little shepherds running around doing the stuff, and the devil's like, oh, who do I go after? Who do I go after? There's too many of them. That's why Jesus raised up the 12. That's why he raised up the 70. That's why on the day of Pentecost, there's 120 there, and they scatter. And the devil's like, oh, what do I do? What do, I do? They just multiplied. The disciples are running around, and the Pharisees are like, oh, which one, which one do we get? We already got Jesus. Oh, look, look, that's Peter. We know that they've been with Jesus because they're doing the same works. Wow. <laughs> the antidote for ignorance. Study to show yourself and approve it unto God. Ask Him yeah. to reveal it. Amen. Lord, I don't understand what this is. I was on the phone with somebody. We were talking about, because we've had a lot of hearing losses restored in the last few months. In this fellowship or when God's had me on the road, we've got videos and this and that. And A lot of times people see that stuff and they can't believe it even though they name the name of Christ. And so what happens is, instead of asking, I'd like to learn more. Can I ask some questions in an inquisitive manner? They either ask a question in an accusatory manner, and Jesus never answered his accusers with information that would help them. But he always answered questions that were inquisitive in a way that would help them. So when somebody comes to you and they ask in an accusatory manner, don't even bother to defend yourself. Just move on. Let the dead bury their dead. They'll come around eventually when they need a healing. They'll call you. Trust me. They'll curse you. They'll talk bad about you. They'll tell people not to go to the church. They get sick. They know they can't call anybody in their church. They'll pray them right into the grave. Well, let me just pray for you for some dying grace, brother. I see you passing on over. When you get there, would you tell Clarence hello for me? And then at the funeral, after they pray him into the grave, well, God just plucked another flower for the bouquet of heaven. Praise the Lord. He needed a flower up there. Come on, man. You know how many flowers he's got up there? The flowers dance and praise him. Like he needs one more flower in heaven. And he's got to take your uncle or aunt or son early. 
Why was this man born blind? Was his parents sin or would he sin? Jesus says, neither. That the glory of God might be made manifest. Bring him over here. Be healed. Now go back. And the Pharisees are like, wait a second. What do you mean? The man who healed you, he must have been a sinner. Well, no. I mean, sinners can't open the eyes of the blind. Where are your parents? They're over here. Who healed him? We don't know anything about it. We don't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. He's old enough. Let him tell himself. Well, this is a man named Jesus. Mm, we got problems. We got competition. All we can do is beg alms and get a piece of the action on the people at the gate beautiful that we carry daily so we can make a little pocket change because we know there's not any receipts on that stuff because it's cash and it's outside of the Roman tax law. Jesus is running us out of business with these healings. What are we supposed to do? I don't know. Let's kick them out of the synagogue. Now they're being quiet. Let's kick him out. Well, let's call Jesus a sinner. Let's get him to agree. I don't know whether this man's a sinner or not. All I know is he opened the eyes of my blood. I once was blind, but now I see. Anyway, so my friend says to me, he says, yeah, he says, you know, I don't know why. And he's a good man. He loves the Lord. He walks righteously. He's, he's a giver. He's a hard worker. He gives great service, domestic product back into society. He's a loving husband to his wife. And he said, you know, when I see that stuff, I don't know why. He said, but instantly I've been shocked. He said, but I know you, David. He said, but even when I hear it coming from you, and I know you, he said, instantly my mind goes to charlatan. And he says, I don't know what that is in me. It's the old Adamic nature. And let me tell you why it's in most preachers. Because they're prayerless and they're powerless wow. and they're egotistical and they're prideful and they're angry and they're saying if it was going to happen through anybody it'd be the unholy trinity me, myself, and I who God serves. Wow. That's good. Oops. Glorybetome.com oh. I mean glory be to him. Do you see how careful we have to be because with our words out of our mouth, in reality we reveal who we are. If God's doing it through somebody, we should say glory be to God. It's not happening through us. There's a different stream. They've got something we don't have. It lines up with Scripture and if it doesn't line up with our interpretation of Scripture, we could ask the Lord, Lord, have we misread the passage? Because God will never contradict His Word, but He has no problem whatsoever contradicting your interpretation of it. Okay. <laughs> and if it's in that stream and they've got it and you don't have it, cross over if they're in the stream of God because there's multiple streams. There's several rivers that flow from the... Yes. And get out of the river called denial. There's no river called denial. Denial. <laughs> Okay, we're going to expedite this. Antidote for ignorance? Study. Ask God. He'll reveal it. Number four, the self-exalting spirit. Glory be to me. Glory be to me. Here come the disciples. They had just witnessed the miracle working power of God. Now, they began to reason among themselves which would be the greatest. Luke 9, 46. Yeah, we got the miracle work. Just up on the mountain with Jesus, Peter, James, and John. We've got, oh, Moses. We've got Elijah. Here's, we got it going on. I wonder which one of us is going to be the greatest. Hey, Jesus. 
Yeah. When you're in your glory, yeah. can we sit on the right and the left? Can we, can we be like vice president and secretary? I mean, I don't know who's going to get the vice president position, but you know, hopefully it's me. Here the disciples had just witnessed this. This attitude is not new among believers. In fact, it began with Lucifer in heaven, who also knew God and was trusted with great authority before his fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus said, Whoever shall exalt himself shall be abased or humiliated. Matthew 23, 13. Proverbs declares, A man's pride shall bring him low. Ego. But honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. He resists the proud, but he gives more grace to the humble. He resists the proud, which means unteachable. I know it all. I don't need anything else. He, but he gives more grace, unmerited favor to the humble, the teachable. Lord, I, I only know an eyedropper in the ocean of knowledge. You have your omniscient. I am finite. Help me. Give me the mind of Christ. I need you in this matter. Mm, 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 mm. Antidote for self-exaltation. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. Those that humble themselves shall be exalted. When King David found himself battling pride, he often humbled himself with a dirty seven-letter word in the body of Christ called fasting. Jesus said, when you give, not if. He said, when you pray, not if. And He said, when you fast, not if. Jesus said, when you pray, when you give, and when you fast. Wow. That's in the Beatitudes. Matthew 6. Don't think that you won't do it as a Christian. He didn't say if. He said when. If you've never been on a fast, start at 6 p.m. at night and go until noon the next day. That's 18 hours. Don't eat after 6. Try an 18-hour fast the first time and then eat lunch. Then try till 3 o'clock the next time. Then try 6 p.m. till 6 p.m. Eat an evening meal. Then try 36 hours. Then try a two-day or a three-day fast. You can warm up. It's like pushing the thousand-pound rock. Don't start with it right away if you have opportunities. But don't expect to push the thousand-pound rock if you've never pushed a hundred-pound. Prayerlessness. 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 Powerlessness. Prayerfulness. Powerfulness in Christ. Okay. It's best to take the antidote willingly for this self-exalting spirit. Mm. And be healed now when the sweetness of God's grace is on the gospel. The medicine we need to take. If not, God in His mercy, because He loves us, will force feed us the much needed medicine at a later date. (laughs) Number five, the sectarian spirit. Sectarian, according to one definition, is bigotry, discrimination, or hatred arising from attaching importance to perceived differences between subdivisions within a group, such as between different denominations. Okay. No, I'm Baptist. I'm Methodist. I'm I'm, I'm Episcopalian. Well, we're we're Pentecostal. We're Neo Pentecostal. We're Neo Pentecostal of the third wave. Well, we're the prophetic movement. Do you know Jesus? Come on. Is His character in you? Amen. Luke 9.49, the disciples approached Jesus to report that they saw someone casting out devils in his name. Mm-hmm. The disciples forbade him because he followed not with the disciples. Mm-hmm. No one put over a group. 
In a word, the disciples forbade this man from doing the work of the Lord in the work of the kingdom in Jesus' name because he wasn't part of their little group. This is a major problem in the body of Christ today and brings great division to God's family of believers in Christ. Jesus declared, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us, Luke 9.50. To act otherwise is contrary to Jesus' command. Amen. Stop it. Stop it. Okay. I, I run into Pentecostals that don't want to be around Baptists. I'm like, my gosh, there's more Baptists than there are people that want so many people to Christ. I mean, read their record books. Huh? <laughs> but they win people to Christ. They may not believe in Acts 2-4 where the power is released they're like Acts 2-4 no more Christians but don't break fellowship with them over it you don't even have to tell them you speak in tongues if they're winning people to Christ learn what they're doing do it too and then add the power on addition to it people say to me David are you Baptist? I'm Bapticostal I win them to Christ and get them healed now what? because Jesus promised both we give them a you want ice cream? we give you a double dip with a cherry on top it's Okay. Where one couldn't put a thousand to flight, two together can chase ten thousand. There's nothing more dangerous than a Baptist and a Pentecostal getting together and walking in unity. The best of both worlds. The pioneers taking the land, the Pentecostals, and the Baptists, the settlers, getting them equipped and established in the faith. You watch some Pentecostals, they'll speak in tongues, they'll prophesy, they'll lay hands on the sick, and then if you see them a week later, their lifestyle, you're like, my God, how are they even saved? You see some Baptists, they walk the walk, they talk the talk, they're living the life, they got no power, some of them. But you know what? God's looking for transformed lives. Nowhere does He say, much done, thou good and faithful servant. He says, well done. It's not much done. It's well done. I love my Baptist brothers. And I'll ride with them. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And I like to ride with them and take them to cast out a demon. <laughs> After we won somebody to Christ, I had a friend of mine on the compound who was Baptist, did not believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost, evidence of speaking in other tongues. Okay. Saved as saved can be, an apologist could lead people to Christ right and left. Used to be a joke. He said, Yeah, I get them saved, you get them tongue talking. Okay. <laughs> He's already believing that stuff, but I can't argue with the changed lifestyle. Just you tongue them to death, I'll win them to death. You know, I don't, I don't. But we would evangelize on the compound together and Muslims would come to Christ on the weight pile because we were in unity, not arguing over tongues, water baptism, dunk, sprinkle, dry cleaned, once saved, always saved, you can lose your salvation, the color of the carpet, did Adam have a belly button being the first man? We're going to have to break fellowship over this doctrinal question. How many angels can dance on the head of a pin? I don't know. But I can tell you about Jesus. Hallelujah. The greatest witness and confirmation that the baptism in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of tongues is for today is the lifestyle of some people who have it. The greatest deterrent that the baptism in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues is for today, sadly, is the lifestyle of some who claim to have it. That's right. Stop trying to convert them to your doctrine. Convert them to your Jesus and let it flow from there. That's it. Don't get caught up in pet doctrines yep. right. with your sectarian, separatist bigotry. Mm. Get free in the name of Jesus. Oh, 
Mm. Stop judging. Amen. It's, it's a trinity. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not Holy Ghost Jr. It's not, I'm in the sheriff position in the body of Christ. God expanded the trinity to include me. I'm sheriff. It's a quartet now. And I'm going to police. And I'm going to go ahead and get on radio. And I'm going to be God's voice on the earth to attack every minister who's winning thousands and thousands of people to Christ in the third world countries. Because my doctrine is that of a preterite, meaning I believe in a last day's falling away, but I don't believe in a last day's revival. Wow. So my doctrine, that's my idol, I'm going to wrap everybody's fruit around that. If it doesn't fit in, I'm going to attack them. And then call myself by a name that would exalt me to be everyone's answer about the Bible. We'll leave that one alone. I'm on a rabbit trail. Don't chase that rabbit! Number six, vindictive spirit, Luke 9.50. One, the disciples encounter a similar sectarian spirit in Samaria. Okay. When they run into a sectarian spirit, a bigoted spirit, and here's what Samaria was. Samaria was half Jew, half Gentile. Okay. So the Samaritans weren't received by the Gentiles because they're half Jew. They weren't received by the Jews because they're half Gentile. They're half-breeds. Uh-huh. So they're outcasts on both societies, so they got to live in Samaria. Jesus is coming in, and they say... He's got his face set forth to go to Jerusalem. We don't want him here because he's going to hang out with the Jews. Instead of seeing him come through, let's get what we can. Here's what happened. The Samaritan was rejecting the ministry of the disciples. When James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elijah did? Jesus responded instantly by saying, You know not what manner of spirit you're of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy lives, but to save them. Antidote for the vindictive spirit. Many times when people don't act Christian toward us, we want to call fire from heaven on them. Just like the attitude of the disciples above. Remember this, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, Hebrews 10.30. Let me tell you, Jeff, who's the president of our our prison ministry, Mm -hmm. he said this. It's a great quote. I'm, I'm quoting Jeff. Okay, Jeff. Footnote. Jeff Elgay. Uh, uh. Jeff at heartprisonministries.org. This is what he said. You can tell whether or not a person's really in submission to authority the minute you tell them to do something they don't want to do. Okay. It's easy to submit to someone's authority until they tell you to do something you don't want to do. And that's where true submission shows up. Okay. He's got a whole teaching on submission. It's a great one. And I'm not talking about submitting to a control spirit. I'm talking about submitting to to authority. Now here's the deal. God may have you submit to a soul who's throwing javelins at you for a while in the seminary of Saul so he can exalt you as king. Have you been to the seminary of Saul? If you go to it and you get your degree, you'll never have to go to it again. I've been to the seminary of Saul. Lots of prison chaplains, lots of prison... And I'm going to tell you something. you got to submit and they're throwing javelins at you. My but guess what? When I got out, I ran into a seminary of Saul, an expert. I looked at him. I said, already been there, done that. I don't want to play. I walked away. Since then, that person has invited me into a whole new world, honored me, respected me, wants to get 
teachings encourages people to come to this fellowship. Okay. And he's a well-known international minister. Okay. But I was invited to the seminary of Saul that I'd graduated from mm -hmm. at one point. Right. And I said, sorry, graduated from that. Mm -hmm. Got the t-shirt, got the diploma, coffee mug. coffee mug, the whole nine yards, got the belt. Okay. <laughs> let God be God and let Him manifest His severity in due season. In the meantime, let's extend His hand of mercy and grace on all that come against us. Jesus said this, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Matthew 5.44 Jesus demonstrated this on the cross by saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Luke 23.34 And Stephen demonstrated the same grace while being stoned to death for preaching the gospel, casting out devils, and healing the sick. He echoes the words of Jesus, saying, Lord, lay not sin to their charge. Lord, grant us a forgiving spirit like this so our enemies can come to know Jesus and be saved. The final one is the half-hearted spirit of the lukewarm spirit. Here a man approached Jesus saying, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And you know what? In reality, this is the worst spirit of them all, is the half-hearted follower of Jesus. To know that you serve the Lord of Lords and King of Kings and that He is the final authority in every matter. To serve Him half-heartedly is an offense. Here's what Jesus said. He said this in the book of Revelation. He said, to the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church, the half-hearted church, He said, you have said we are rich. We have need of nothing. He says, I say you're pitiful, poor, and blind. You need salve for your eyes that you might be able to see. He said, I wish you were either hot or cold, but because you're half-hearted, you're lukewarm, I'm about to vomit you as a projectile out of my mouth. And i got this to say. If you're in Christ, in the body, and you get vomited out of the mouth, where does that place you? In the body or out? Out. Something to think about. Wow. Say law. Pause and reflect. No man yet having put his hand to the plow and looking back, fit for the kingdom of God. There was a woman in Genesis. She was Lot's wife. And as she was leaving Sodom and Gomorrah, as she was being miraculously delivered by angels with her daughters, she turned back, not one time in the original Hebrew, but she turned back with a longing in her heart. She kept looking back for the dry places. Pillar of salt. In the body or out of the body? Makes you go, hmm. We're either going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, or well done, crispy critter. Here a man approached Jesus. I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus responded immediately saying, follow me. Boom. But the man replied, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Wait till my father dies of old age and then I'll respond to the ministry call on my life. This is the half-hearted spirit and is all too common in American Christianity today. I thank God we've got two people tonight that we prayed over that are going on the mission field to Thailand and to Germany to release Amen. The gospel of the kingdom. Amen. God bless them. Amen. Mm.
Jesus' response to this man was simply this. No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. If we truly want the anointing of Elijah today, we'll have to do as Elijah did when he was called to the ministry. And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen, his livelihood and his work tools, and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen, then arose, went after Elijah, and ministered unto him. That's what Elisha did when Elijah called him into the ministry at the leading of the Lord. He said, I'm putting off that I might put on. Let us stand. Conclusion. Antidote for the lukewarm spirit. When God truly calls us, there's going to be no turning back to the world like Lot's wife. James says, A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Let not that man think he shall receive anything from the Lord. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, Whoever does not forsake all cannot be my disciple. Amen. Discipleship is different than salvation. Salvation is free. But discipleship will cost you everything. Mm. Which of these seven human spiritual states struck home when you read about them or heard about them tonight? Maybe there were more than one. None of us is without sin. And we're all growing in Christ. God knows where we're at. And it could be that He brought this teaching tonight across your path, or by CD or by video, because He wants to set you free from the old Adamic nature that fell in the garden. That you were created in the image and likeness of that fallen nature. But thank God for Christ, the last Adam. You were born into the new nature. And now we have power to overcome because of the Holy Spirit that dwells within. The prescribed medicine for deliverance is simple. It's the four REs. RE, recognize. Simply recognize we have a problem. Number two, repent. Turn from it. Number three, renounce it. Denounce it. And number four, resist the desire to go back to the old ways and the old nature. Because if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, a new species of being, a new DNA. The divine nature of the Almighty. If there's anyone here tonight that doesn't know Jesus, if you died tonight, and you weren't certain that you were going to heaven, raise your hand and we can resolve that issue with you and Jesus instantly. And I'm going to pray this prayer right now on video for those that don't know the Lord. Just simply say, Lord, I need you. I believe you died on a cross. We're buried in a tomb. And three days later, you rose from the dead. I believe you're God in the flesh. I need you as Savior. I renounce and denounce my old ways, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I receive you as King of kings and Lord of lords. Come into my heart now. I pray. It's just that simple. And that's the flashpoint. It's not the climax. And then the fun really begins.
Father, tonight we just pray that you would move in our hearts. That as these spirits that are human of the old nature, being impulsive or hasty, being prayerless where we try to sleep through instead of responding to the quickening of the Holy Spirit in the wee hours of the night or when we're driving down the road, where we have a tendency to put on a radio instead of praying and being alone with you or picking up that phone as we're going through traffic. Let us just spend time with you that we're prayerful and we have power. We repent today for being ignorant, unlearned in matters. And we say, Lord, give us wisdom. Give us a hunger and a thirst to read the Word that we might know You in the power of Your resurrection like never before so that when You quicken us according to the Scriptures and make it alive to us or You bring it into remembrance in our lives, we'll know that it's You. We won't have to search forever to figure it out. And the enemy won't be able to deceive us to tell us it's something when we already know that contradicts the Word. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge in You and deliver us, O God, from the pride of Lucifer to self-exalt that we would not have glory be to me syndrome, but it would be glory be to Jesus who gave His life for us. And Lord, we pray that You would deliver us from the sectarian spirit that subversive, self-exalting, manipulative, bashing, bigotrous spirit that would separate what you have joined together. We're going to spend eternity with our brothers and sisters in heaven. Deliver us from ever coming against what you've created as good to the born-again experience. And Lord, show us how to have diversity with liberty and unity. Show us how to contrast and complete and no longer compare and compete. And Lord, deliver us from a vindictive spirit where we want to get skin for skin, where we want judgments to happen on people instead of judgment to happen on the enemy and the captive that knows not what they do to be set free. And deliver us, O oh God, from the half-hearted spirit of lukewarm Christianity that we might love Your Word more than we love Facebook, more than we love text messaging, more than we love gossip, more than we love talking, Amen. that we might spend time with you, that we might get fully on fire for no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back unto Sodom and Gomorrah or looking back to the world or looking back to the old relationship that you delivered us from is fit for the kingdom of God. Have mercy on us this day and fill us. Just raise your hands to the Lord. Lord, fill us with your fire because your fire burns everything out. Empower us with you. We know that the orange tree doesn't produce its own fruit, but it simply yields. So we stop trying and we get the E-G-O out, the ego. We crucify it with Christ. And we say, Lord Jesus, come and live in and through us to the degree that you shine out of us like Peter's shadow, that the sick are healed, devils come out, the captives are set free, and others come to know you as the risen Savior as we represent you as you are. In Jesus' name, those in agreement said, Amen. Praise the Lord. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord.
If anyone special, anyone wants special prayer, we can do that now. Amen. If you want to sow into the kingdom of God, you can bring your offerings up, gifts unto the Lord. This has been another powerful teaching by David Harabedian. For additional resource material, visit the shop link at davidharabedian.com.